Hello, everybody, and welcome to Legends of the New Republic, your book club podcast, reading through Star Wars Legends books set after Return of the Jedi. And this is the first time that it is true to say that we read through books, because we're moving on to a second one. <laughs> we have finished Truce at Bakura. We're all very happy about that, although we enjoyed for the most part, reading it. Uh, the next one is one that I think everybody's really going to enjoy because I really like it. And uh, obviously my opinion's universal. Uh, I'm David, and I'm one of your hosts here at Legends of the New Republic. Joining me tonight, we have... Chris, who is still waiting on Cat to come back with Zuko. And Jason, and I'd just like to say that David's opinions do not reflect my own. <laughs> I'm Jay, and I'm gay. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, that's a lot more clever than most of mine are. Most of mine are, I'm Chris, and I don't like people or the internet. Hey. See, at least, see, I'm a poet. I know how to rhyme. You are, you are a poet, and I honestly am ashamed of myself. Uh, normally joining us would be uh, Kat as well, but uh, we're not sure if she'll be able to make it tonight. She had uh, some errands that she needed to run, and we're not sure if she'll make it back in time. She's going to make an effort, but obviously uh, if she doesn't make it, she doesn't make it. So we'll just carry on without her. Uh, we will miss her, though, because that's one less person to keep us on track. Well, I guess we better make sure we're feline fine, even without her around. But... Ow, I just punched my ass. <laughs> I wasn't the one who ruined it. I wasn't the one who ruined I forgot take. I had this big metal thing sticking out. I wasn't I the one who ruined that take. I would like the record to show that I did not laugh in any way. I, I am mirthless. So speaking of mirthless individuals, <laughs> uh, today we begin a book that largely focuses upon Boba Fett, even if Darth Vader is inexplicably huge on the cover of this one. Um, I don't even know if Darth Vader is in this book. I don't remember him being in it. Maybe he has a bit part, but his head is the biggest head on the cover. Uh, and speaking of books that we are reading tonight, it is The Mandalorian Armor, the first book of the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy, written by K.W. Jeter and came out in June of 1998. So by now, uh, by the point this book came out, at least, the, the EU, the, the old Legends universe, was pretty well established. There were a lot of books out for it. Uh, it was kind of in a, a very healthy part of its life sort, uh, cycle. So we won't have quite as much early installment weirdness as we had with Truce at Bakura. <laughs> but what we do have is scum and villainy and much of it. Uh, this book focuses on Boba Fett and a lot of other people in the fringes of society. I was about hey, to say... David, the... I have a question. Go ahead. Right, David, I have a question for you. Yeah. If, if, if the cover didn't have a picture of Darth Vader on it, then how the heck would people know it was a Star Wars book? Come on, man. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> kind of and valid, also, yeah, yeah. there was really nobody else on that that anybody would really recognize except for Boba Fett. Well, I mean, I mean De yeah, Dengar and I think it's like... Manaru that's on the cover are not super recognizable by sight to non-Star Wars fans, but you'd think Boba Fett would be. Yeah, I feel like this would be like uh, the book that your nerd friend would pull off the shelf and be like, look, it's Star Wars, and you'd scratch your head and be like, is it? <laughs> like... <laughs> 
The, oh, wait, no, Darth Vader's giant head is there. We're good. Oh, I get it now. And then they would look at you with like this disgust and this absolute betrayal where they're like, of course, you had to see Darth Vader to know it was Star Wars. Yeah. So I like to, this is I like to that... imagine that like whoever, whatever artists they commissioned to make the, the cover photo just knows nothing about Star Wars, but knows about Darth Vader. <laughs> So like imagine imagine <laughs> some like a prequel book that like comes before the even the prequels. It's like set long before any of the events of the movie ever happened. And the artist is like, oh, Star Wars art, yeah, I can do that. And it's just a freaking picture of Darth Vader. I want to see so somebody funny do to an me entire book that... like that now. I want to see someone be like, all right, here's my new book. The title is When Summer Turns to Spring. And <laughs> Just write a picture based off of that. You don't get anything else about the book. Go. Like, I what, I, what, what I find funny is that. that these are some of the best covers that Star Wars had up until a really long time. Because basically, the 90s had a lot of covers that were either drawings of stills from the movie or um, original artwork. Uh, this one has a lot of original artwork that's pretty clearly based off of stills from the film. Um, mixed with some stuff that wasn't in the movies they needed to draw. But then later on, I, I want to say kind of in the early 2000s, because um, I remember it starting around the tail end of New Jedi Order, for some inexplicable, force-forsaken reason, hmm. budgetary or otherwise, they decided, screw our original, interesting, well-drawn covers. Let's go with really crappy CGI composite art that was put together by a third grader. Oof. And you get these covers that look like PowerPoint presentations from the depths of hell. Are you talking about the new Jedi Order, Jedi Order stuff? Like, no, 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 no. The it? cover art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking. Yeah, I know what you're like, talking about. Like where some it's of like New Jedi Order has really good cover stuff. art, and then there's some really, really bad CGI stuff, oh, and no, it gets no. really bad later on. Yeah, okay. Uh, as I you know get towards the out. end of Legends canon. And then right before the end of Legends, they actually hired an art department again, I guess, because their art gets really, really good. And then it has continued to be very good because it continues to get funding. <laughs> you're, you're so there's about, just like, this weird... Even... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was like, you're, you're talking about the like the Yuzhan Bong era of stuff, right? Yeah, and, and shortly after that, okay. there's like this... Yeah, I, yeah. I want to look into it because I'm sure there's a real explanation for it. And if anyone knows, you're welcome to leave comments on the podcast. I'd love to hear about why what, the what cover was... art quality just takes a nosedive in the 2000s for a while and then suddenly gets way the, better. You said it was the early 2000s? Probably around that time. I don't remember. I just you remember that being in every, middle school. Every film company was obsessed with CGI at that point. Like, if you were mm. not doing CGI, you were doing something wrong. Even if it was really bad CGI... Like, that was the attitude back then. Just bad CGI is better than good hand-drawn animation because CGI is the way of the future. And that was and that was the downfall for a lot of movies. Um, and now I'll the way of the future is the, mar like the marriage of both of them, as is seen in the film Klaus on Netflix, which is great. And this is not an oh, endorsement. Oh, that's but... so good. So um, good. I, th I think another reason could be and i'd have to look into it too but uh there was a publisher change at some point for star wars books there was there? and there's been a couple so uh, i'm wondering if but i think the publisher now is the same publisher that was 
the publisher during this like weird period. I don't know. I've gotten us off onto a yeah. tangent immediately, and it's completely my fault. But I will look into this and come back and report because now I'm really curious why the cover art changed so dramatically. But the point is, I, I think mean, this David, is one of the better styles the book, that Star Wars used. We are. <laughs> so it's a rabbit trail in David's style where it's just an obscure piece of Star Wars weirdness about the book. Uh, I, this one was published by Bantam Spectra, who did most of the early stuff. And I know eventually it switched over to Del Rey. Um, but I think Del Rey still publishes it. And the cover art do, has gotten so much better. Like if you look, the one that sticks out to me is the cover of Bloodlines. Um, it's just really beautiful. And they've continued to have really high quality cover art on their books um recently so i don't know what the deal is i'll i'll find out and report back but anyway back to the mandalorian armor um i uh, i think we should probably just get started looking into the prologue honestly because this one's a good book and i want to read it <laughs> it's it's it is a good book i have thoughts and i will figure out where to put them um <laughs> let me see here i actually oh, i actually one thing have I do a want thought to say before we start Hmm? Go ahead. I have a thought that I would like to place before we actually get rolling on this, just because it's a general thought about kind of adaptation yeah, yeah. of Star Wars in general. And then I have points that I'll hold for chapter one. Um, but no, what I love about this book thus far, and what I love about most of these adaptations, they do what is really great with um, some kind of expanded property in that they give us the view just off of center of the main story. They take mm -hmm. an idea or an event or characters that aren't really ever given a spotlight because thematically and plot-wise, they're not relevant outside of that one moment they were in the film, and it builds kind of the interconnected narrative around those events. Like, that's what you really should do. Like, honestly, as much as, like, um, books about Luke and Leia and Han Solo and all those things are great. These are the books that I really love in this universe. They're the ones that kind of take us off of the beaten path and let us explore the bushes, as it were. Um, <laughs> so that's what I really love about this, and that's what I really uh, love about Star Wars books. I will totally I, agree with that. I like that. Yeah, I love the side story kind of content. Well, this one, and it's out of our scope because it's set during the original trilogy, but this book, I believe, is almost a spiritual sequel in some ways to a book that the author wrote, um, which was a collection, an anthology of short stories. Um, I think it was actually two anthologies, one called Tales from Jabba's Palace and one called Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina, and they were exactly what you're talking about. They are short stories about background characters, and some of those short stories set up plot threads that will be picked up in this book. It's not like you have to read those to be interested in this book. It's just sort of an author putting nice nods into prior works in these in the property, um, which is, a, I think, a good way to do that kind of thing. But anyway, um, the reason that this one isn't first in the list is because although technically it starts during and before Return of the Jedi, it's kind of weird because it starts in the middle of Return of the Jedi. Most of the plot of the trilogy takes place after Return of the Jedi as a frame story, and there are also a lot of flashbacks to In Between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. So the chronology is all over the place, but I figured since Trusit Bakura had a simpler chronology, sells itself as picking up right after the movie, and is about the main characters, that we'd start there. Uh, but this one, we are actually going to jump slightly backwards at first, uh, and then we'll get a little bit further on as we go through the book. You, and speaking you know of going through the book... You know what this nope, whole whole narrative balancing sounds like to me? 
Uh-oh. Wibbly, wobbly, timey-wimey stuff? Gosh dang it, David! <laughs> I can no, edit no, no, that no, out. No. Big, we'll take it one. out. Yeah, we'll edit it out. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay, Jay, what does it sound have like? your moment, and we'll circle back. No, okay, everyone, no, let it, Jay it, have... No, it, he, he, he said the joke already. It's, it's But too late. the people listening to this will never know that, because we'll edit it out. You will it's be the late. only joke they we hear. This is the power of the society. We can engineer this. No one ever has to know. We have to make we have to make anti-David propaganda. You're saying yes. yes. We're eliminating we're eliminating David out of this podcast one small snippet at a time, and eventually it'll just be our podcast. <laughs> and then one day we'll all look up and go, "Who was David?" And we'll pan out really wide, and there'll be like a poster of David on the wall, like molding and falling off. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so in the prologue of this book, <laughs> we find ourselves uh, looking at a very a very short prologue told from the perspective of a character named Prince Shizor. Um, I say Shizor, I think that's the pronunciation, I googled it. His name is spelled X-I-Z-O-R, and arguing about how that name is pronounced is an age-old pastime of Star Wars fans. But Amen. Regardless, Prince Shizor is a character who is dead by the time this book actually starts, um, but he will. He is um, a crime lord and the head of Black Sun, which is in Legends, basically the space mafia. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a little bit more cutthroat and a little bit less Italian themed. But he is the head of a very major crime syndicate, and uh, he's one of the squickier characters in Star Wars. So I'm not glad, I'm not sad to see him die before this book starts. But he will figure into the flashback storyline. And Prince Shizor is musing about plans that he has set in motion. He's one of those characters who thinks he's way smarter than he actually is. Um, and he's just sitting there thinking about how smart he is and kind of knocking over chess pieces in his monologue to himself um, and, and kind of cackling about how Boba Fett's own legendary stubbornness is what will ensure he cannot escape my brilliant trap. <laughs> and that's basically the prologue. <laughs> what a lovely, what a lovely synopsis, David. Truly, a work of art. <laughs> um, I mean, but really, though, if you've never read Shadows of the Empire, you don't know just how dumb Shizor actually is compared to how smart he thinks he is. That's fair. <laughs> so this That's is somewhat fair. hilarious in hindsight, because this is a character musing about how awesome he is. And if you had not read Shadows of the Empire, it would come off as very threatening. Because you'd be like, oh, who's this guy? And why does he have such plans for Boba Fett? And if you've read Shadows of the Empire, you're like, oh, man, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> So, David. Yes. I'm I'm kind of ashamed to admit about how I knew about the Black Sun group. <laughs> oh. So, when I was younger, I was really into like fan-made films of things. Uh-huh. That's and cool. there was this like fan-made Star Wars film that took place and it was just really bad. It was just so, like, I cannot explain I think I know which one you're in talking words about. how bad the, this fan project was. And it just happened to center around, these, center around these two guys who, for some reason, I for, like, this was so long ago, I can't remember. Like, they had uh -huh. left the Black Sun group or something, but either way, they were on the bad side of the Black Sun. And, like, that's the only reason I know that name is because of this really poorly done, really bad 
fan and fan film of Star Wars. But to paraphrase Johnny Depp, you have heard of them. Yes. <laughs> they can't be all that bad. Anyway, um <laughs> what I kind of what so, I kind of like about the the um the the black suns, right? I'm getting them confused now with the uh, um the blue suns from Mass Effect. Um Yeah, Black Sun. The black it's, Sun. It's, it, it's just Black Sun. I don't think I think they might call themselves the Black Sun in canon, I'm not sure, but they used to just be Black Sun and it was just a criminal organization. The this criminal organization, part of what I love the way um how are we saying his name? The Prince. Prince Garbage Face. Uh, um, you say it just, however just you call, want. We'll, My we'll Google Foo said Shizor, but his name is spelled in a very unpronounceable way. <laughs> Why don't we just call him Princey? Just saying. Princey? <laughs> Princey. Um, what I yeah. love part of the way that he is described and set up in this way, it kind of reminds me more of like genre Yakuza films. Um, yes! Like <laughs> criminal, like criminality within like eastern um filmography kind of falls into like this weird pseudo philosophy pseudo intellectual kind of a space that like at the end of the day you look at them and you go you do know you're just stealing money from people right like, there are people who are like no this is all about gallantry and like you have to like be a man and do certain things in a certain way it's like well, you do realize you're just robbing people well, you know you, this is a very niche joke of- but i really now imagine she's or jumping out of a giant safety cone in the middle of the street yelling ah fetuchan and then so, trying to beat up boba fett so i my my uncle actually spent a, about a year or so living in japan and he actually told me about the reason why the yakuza are often depicted that way the yakuza are basically the leftovers of the samurai because when the samurai were kind of made obsolete when japan modernized they were co- like any group whose sole purpose has been taken away, they were kind of upset. So they started turning to organized crime. And so that's why a lot of Yakuza traditions are steeped in samurai traditions. And they, and they have, they have a code, they have a code of honor. They have familiar, big familial bonds. They have that drinking ceremony where you become the family. Um, which it really makes me think, what if we had a criminal organization that was similar to that, but with the Jedi? Um, hasn't, ha- hasn't hmm? General Obi-Wan given you your orders yet? <laughs> I, mean, other, I mean, other than the Rebellion. I'm talking there is about an awesome like, RPG I'm talking about like, you. More no, like, I'm just referencing the ghost council we were joking about last <laughs> week. Where it's like, yeah, yeah, what if all the Jedi ghosts just told people what to do? That should be the ghost mob. Yeah. So, like, wouldn't it be really interesting to see, like, a modern, a more modern um, organized crime group? Like, maybe they use lightsabers, but they don't really, you know, understand, like, the whole... Uh, chivalry slash they're not afraid to use the dark side of the force but they're not all necessarily super force sensitive so you you end up with basically the lost sons of the new order basically well i i don't know what that is but i'm just kind of spitballing here and feel free oh no no if i go too far down this rabbit hole like i mean i could honestly steal this idea from my rpgs a, a jedi themed organized crime group in star wars 
I don't disagree at all. I, I may that, steal this idea. <laughs> um, that's really cool. I, I like the the idea of a, a Yakuza drama as the, the backdrop for this. It kind of does, I think you're right, it does remind me of that. Um, we shift very hard out of Yakuza in Chapter 1, though, because we, we shift back to the middle of Return of the Jedi. It's just, while the Rebels are getting ready to go blow up the second Death Star, we switch to Dengar, a bounty hunter from Empire Strikes Back from the background. If you've watched that movie or look at the cover, you'll recognize him as the guy with the brown armor and that kind of turban thing he wears on his head. Uh, his face looks a little bit messed up too. Um, but Dengar is <clears throat> what I might describe as a workaday bounty hunter. He knows he's not the best bounty hunter. He doesn't really want to be. He just wants to make enough money to go and retire with his fiance. He's man's bounty hunter. And that's about it. <laughs> and he's looting the wreckage of Jabba Silva. Yeah, he's, he's the working man's bounty hunter, exactly. He's, he's you know... It's a job. I not in it for fame and glory. He's just in it for enough it's money hilarious. to get by. Um, what, and do we... I, I don't remember yet. I don't think we've gotten there yet. But do we actually ever get his backstory about how he got into this line of work? Because... I think that might have been explained in a, pre- a prior book. But yeah, he used yeah, to be a he swoop got racer. In an accident which is like a speeder solo, bike right? racer, basically. Or Solo knocked him off the course or something like that. Yeah, Han does something and uh, and causes a crash, which is why his face is all messed up. Uh, so he doesn't I mean, like Han. <laughs> but he seems weirdly ambivalent okay, towards Solo David, and his crew at this point. can you name me a bounty hunter that does like Han Solo? Yes. <laughs> That's a good point. I can just go to this name generator and make an OC real quick for you, and he will be a bounty hunter that likes Han Solo. Other, other than Leia when she was pretending to be a bounty hunter, is there a single bounty hunter in... Is there, there a there single you go. canon <laughs> bounty hunter in the galaxy? I would argue that... Um, that likes Han Solo. Technically, I would argue that Boba Fett likes Han Solo, um, maybe more than he likes to admit, because I think Boba Fett is actually just a Sundari hunting Han Solo because he would like Han Solo to notice him. <laughs> <laughs> and we broke Jay. I mean, if you think about it, he turns to Vader, the most scary man in the galaxy, and goes, you can't kill him. I need him alive. Like, Okay. Is maybe okay. this is just maybe this is just capitalist motive, or maybe but, it's something deeper. Oh, wait, no. I think he'd be closer to a yandere in this case, though. <laughs> I think. I, I think I there's there's definitely the sundere element there, but it would be like I, this I weird mix. It. You know, you know how some yeah. sundere's are a little bit yandere, or some yandere's are a little bit sundere. It's it's. it's he, he falls yep. in that spe- spectrum somewhere in the middle. All that I know now is that I need to see Boba Fett in a sailor uh, schoolgirl outfit, but still with the helmet. Yes, please and thank you. <laughs> this is my next cosplay. <laughs> yes! Uh, um, yes, um. work it! <laughs> So, so Dengar, our, our POV character for this chapter, is marching through the desert around um, Jabba's destroyed sail barge. He's looking for anything that he can loot and salvage, but the Jawas have beaten him to it. So he's really just kind of out of luck. 
Uh, and he's just, uh, you know, not, not super thrilled with how hot it is and that he's stuck out here salvaging and he kind of kicking himself for coming out here and thinking the Jawas wouldn't have already gotten. And this actually brings up a really interesting point with the story. Cause right after that, he's kind of just surveying the damage and looking around the space being like, yep, everything's dead and awful. And then muses to himself how the huts won't really let this stand and how they're going to hunt down, um, Luke and... Han and Leia for being involved in this, if they survived at all, um, not really out of a sense of loyalty to Jabba, but out of a sense of like um, pernicious self-preservation, where they're like, the only way people don't mess with us is if we come after anyone who messes with us way too hard, um, which was a really kind of a cool way right. to, <laughs> to set that up in the story. Um, and then I think at that point is when he gives up on finding anything meaningful there and basically just calls his girlfriend to show up so they can right. just get out of there. So I have a question for David, because I know you watched The Clone Wars. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember did. there being a few episodes dedicated to a hut. I can't remember if it was Jabba or a different hut. That Zero. was just Zero. this absolute little... Okay. Might yeah, have been it was Zero. this absolute little shit that nobody the in one? the huts actually liked. Yeah, yeah, probably zero. Okay. <laughs> the one who sounds very kind of sounds like this. New Orleans camp. Yeah, yeah, New Orleans <laughs> camp. Yeah. <laughs> yes, zero was an interesting choice of a character, but yes, he was in a couple of <laughs> episodes. He's actually the reason I think that we have a voice for the for size noodles, the the yellow. Like spotted yeah. girl with the giant I remember mouth that ep- tentacle thing. I remember her who sings in Java's palace. Uncomfortable the entire episode. Oof. Well, because she sounds like Cardi B if she smoked it. <laughs> there was a little. I think what was really unsettling was that there was a little bit of Betty Boop thrown in there. It's like Betty B and Cardi B and a or Betty Betty Boop and Cardi B and a lot of tobacco. Uh, I I can't unsee this description now. <laughs> Well, I you know what else you can't you know see? You know what else you can't unsee? What, what's the, that? The great amounts of thematic wisdom that I'm about to drop on y'all. Oh, um, no. At this point, no, at this point in the story... Well, hang on real quick, because Jay had a question about Zero that we didn't get to because we were laughing at Zero. Well, no, because if it was Jabba and, and not Zero, then I would be like, oh, well, that's an interesting way that they connected... Clone Wars to the book if all the huts really did hate Jabba. But no, I was... <laughs> well, Jabba's in Clone Wars a bunch, but he is not hated. Um, <laughs> it's his Uncle Zero that they all hate. Because, rightly so, his Uncle Zero is... His Uncle his uncle yeah. Zero is kind of like um, the Prince John of the animated Disney where Robin Duh. was a fox of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But anyway... He's, he's sort of gotten way too used to the wealth of the huts but he's not pulling his weight he's not willing to put himself on the line for it at all <laughs> but anyway chris has thematic wisdom he wants to drop um i went through <laughs> i went through and read this entire chapter and went through and marked every place that i could find it and every time dengar describes any of the bodies or any of the people that he talks about um this goes back to kind of what we were talking about before with the whole yakuza theme and the whole idea that criminality mm-hmm. in this world at the very least is kind of more of a job and not really a moral pronouncement when he describes them he calls them bodyguards or warriors or like 
he describes them based on their role, not based on like the moral situation most people would um, mark them into. Like he calls Java scum, but he doesn't call any of the people who worked for Java right. scum. Because all of those guys, at least in his mind, are kind of just a step removed from him. And so it's an interesting bias that the author is trying right. to embed in us in this chapter to understand that these people that we are kind of associating with at this point would probably be considered scum, but aren't actually to themselves that. Um, they're, they're people who have their own sense of justice and their own sense of morality, and they're actually a, a slight cut above. They're kind of like um, David was saying, um, that everyday man bounty hunter that Dengar is. They're just kind of like everyday criminals. They're just like people who just have jobs and are trying to get done with it and go home. Um, and that's kind of how they're described. And I really would like to see how that continues to play out moving forward. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because Dengar also mentions that pretty much as soon as the word that Java died came down, all of his former servants start ransacking his cal his uh, castle, mm -hmm. castle, what? what castle, what? his palace. <laughs> That's the thing I'm trying to his, say. His sweet, I'm mixing up the words castle and palace and saying them at the same sweet, time. His sweet, sweet digs. <clears throat> yes. So they're they're looting his place because, and I think that that. You know, I hadn't picked up on the way that he describes that, but that actually makes a lot of sense because I do think that Dengar and a lot of the other characters in this book tend to view Jabba as morally reprehensible because he has the choice to not be what he is. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He could do something else. He could treat people better. And they kind of view themselves as almost victims of the hut where it's sort of like they don't have the resources or the ability to stop being what they are, or they don't have the ability to be anything other than what they are. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, I, I really like that point that you make. <coughs> so he calls Manaru, which is, um, we don't know who she is at this point. He just says it's his fiance, basically, or his bride to be, I believe is how he describes her uh, to come back and pick him up. And while he's waiting, he leans up against a bar, uh, a, a piece of the hull, um, one of the support struts of Jabba's tail barge, and then remembers almost too late when it shifts under him and uh, sends him careening down the pit with it that the barge blew up right next to that giant Sarlacc monster. Oops. <laughs> so he almost ends up inside of the Sarlacc because this beam slides him all the way over the pit. And he panics and he's desperate and he's kicking himself and thinking all sorts of stupid things about himself for doing this. And when he finally gets out of the pit and runs away far enough to calm down, he realizes the Sarlacc is dead. Something blew it apart, looks like from the inside. There's pieces of it all over the place, and all the wreckage that has tumbled down into the pit is just sitting there, which surprises him. It's, it's one of those things where you kind of, you see something that you're really afraid of, and then you realize it's dead. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh shit, what killed that? I should be more afraid of that, right. whatever that is. <laughs> Nearby, he finds a body, but it turns out the body is still alive. Ooh, it's spooky. Although it's... <laughs> spooky is not the way I would describe the body. Like, this is like the least spooky of all bodies. I was, I was trying to make a joke because, you know, it's still alive. Ooh. 
Oh no, it was a great joke. It was a great <laughs> joke. I just was thinking about the like actually how the scene was set up and just like the theming of that. Like I was just picturing like a weird ghost rising off of Boba's body, <laughs> like they do in anime, where it's like the ghost like whoa. Like, that's what I was picturing, and so it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Although the body is badly burned by acid of some kind. Anything happen? Anyone have anything to say about this? Because the next point is like a perspective switch. So I don't want to continue on to that. Right. I did. I, one of the things I didn't write in the show notes that I forgot to is he, he recognizes that the body is still wearing parts of armor uh, and parts of a helmet that's still fairly recognizably got a T visor. Um, So he, he kind of knows who it is, even though he doesn't clue the reader in if the reader doesn't figure it out. Um, So he goes over to the, to the body uh, and he's amazed that it's still breathing because there are really bad burns over most of its body. All right. Now we have a perspective switch to the dying man, how he muses that even the pain of being digested eventually fades to a dull, inevitable, inevitable, inevitability Inevit- after a while. He, he's, he's a theater <laughs> kid, okay? That's what yeah. I'm getting out of this point. He's a theater Boba. kid. The internal monologue is very noir, I think, with a lot of you know metaphor and heavy-handed. Well, Boba is kind of like Boba is kind of like the edgiest of edgy kids at school. Like he is just the guy who stood in this corner of the cafeteria and thought about how like everyone was awful but him. He's got That's one kind arm slung. He's got one arm slung over the back of his chair. He's got hair covering one eye. He's like yeah, literally kind of hunched over. He, his his legs are crossed. He's like whatever, like literally, man. I could see this entire hey, inner monologue listen, from Boba. Hey, just do you listen turning... to Lincoln Park or Panic at the Disco? <laughs> Maybe some Fallout Boy. <laughs> So what's funny is that this book will go into some of Boba Fett's backstory, which will even in Legends be invalidated by the fact that the Clone Wars, or excuse me, Attack of the Clones comes out. Um, so for the purposes of this book, his whole backstory of being a clone of Jango Fett is not a thing. There's a whole separate backstory for Boba Fett. Fortunately, it's not way too important because Boba Fett's whole character is basically a guy can, in a Can I, can I um, say one more thing in the, about emo Boba Fett? Yeah. my favorite piece of classical literature is my immortal (laughs) (laughs) surprisingly the song is actually pretty decent by within temptation but that's just me it's not as good as the amazing literature that is i like how the author really sticks it to those preps man I can't do it. I can't do no, it. No, but I could. I could see most of that. I could see most of that inner dialogue just being that, like just Boba being like, you know what, life sucks and it's over now. Good. Like, I mean, that's almost exactly what he thinks at some point during this scene. I suppose now something along the lines of you know, life hurts, but eventually it stops hurting and just fades into a different kind of pain and then it stops <laughs> and then that's pain um he actually, starts doing guess... the he starts doing the kylo ren thing where he starts hitting himself in the rib 
But he starts. I I don't think he has the strength or cognizance at this point to do anything. But he starts hitting himself in the rib to the beat the of his favorite song, which is clearly. Um, I can't They're gonna, gonna clean up your looks with all the lies and the books. <laughs> I was gonna say that, or maybe um, Du Hast, um, the the German metal song. <laughs> That's also fair. But no, actually, now is a decent time to mention my my final point. Um, in this monologue, Boba says something interesting, and he's talking about um, a lot of like what David was saying about life fading into more pain and pain, just kind of layers and layers of that, and kind of at some point laments the fact that he like. It's not really a lament. It's more like a reflection on the fact that he doesn't have a god to reach out to or to ask in any kind of like way to intercede for him at this time, and he's okay with that. The reason mm-hmm. I find this to be really interesting is it's part of it's part of something in Star Wars that kind of makes me go, hmm. I wonder if this is actually how Star Wars would be, or is this something we're bringing to it? Like postmodern writers really like this motif of going to the idea of like the godless man who is strong in his own godlessness where it's like, yeah, I've rejected this concept and it's fine. I am better for it. That's a very consistent theme through a lot of postmodern literature. Um, What's interesting about this is that in star Wars, the entire culture has been dominated for over a millennia by pseudo spiritual leaders who have been running the government basically. Like the Jedi have de facto been the arbiters of culture for a thousand years and their religion has been widely accepted as being just straight up fact. Like if you have someone who walks into your house and can throw you across the room and read your mind and he says, yeah, there's this weird mystical energy force that tells me I can do this. I just shake his hand and say, okay, please stop. Like it's really it's really interesting for me to see this world where these characters kind of still conceive of deity in this sort of sense where they're like yeah is there a god or not and like it almost feels like they kind of have a disconnect from this cultural bias they should have towards the force at this point because everyone should just be like yeah i'm gonna die Mm -hmm. and the force now because that's what they should have been learning in school all these years like philosophy in star wars should start with and the jedi told us because that's philosophy okay i was gonna say there are some canon deities that we know of like right so so like just imagine Boba Fett's there and he's getting ready to die. You know, he sees the bright white light. He slowly starts walking towards the light. And then this shining figure who, 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 who is very, um, what's the word? When light's coming off of him, you know? Luminescent? Yeah, a luminescent figure. And Boba Fett's like, am I dead? And the guy turns around and we get, oh, hello, my name is C-3PO. <laughs> here, here, <I> nope. <laughs> here I thought it was just going to be Tamora Morrison. It was just going to be Tamora Morrison being like, no, kid, it's time to go to the future. Like, I thought no, that was I'm, just going to be that. Punchline. No, I was making a joke about how the Ewoks still view C-3PO as a god. Yes, I got it. And I thought that, that was but, hilarious. But in reality... <laughs> In, in, in seriousness, in Clone Wars, I think two of my a few of my favorite episodes centered around where Anakin and Ahsoka were trapped on like a planet that was like extremely 
heavy in the force to the oh. point that they couldn't use their oh yeah Mortis. Like, to the point that they couldn't use their Jedi abilities. And there were mm-hmm. like there was like this brother and sister who were both deities, and yeah, one was the, the embodiment family. of the light side of the force, and one was the embodiment of the dark side of the force. Like that, mm-hmm. that was like my favorite set of episodes. I think that was like that was, that was like my least episodes. favorite because um, it has so many philosophic and theological um, underpinning mistakes to itself and contradictions that it just made it unwatchable for me after a point. They're basically just demigods <laughs> as opposed to any actual deity, in which case they're basically just roided up Jedi, in which case they don't have the moral authority that they operate with the entire episode, and then they cease to be relevant as soon as the arc ends. And I, I have feelings about that that we can talk about later. But anyway, Boba Fett's dying on the <laughs> sand, guys, and we should focus on that. Should we... Real quick, to your point really? about godlessness in Star Wars, <laughs> um, I do think it's interesting um, that at this point in canon, they had established, or excuse me, in Legends, prior to the prequels coming out, um, the Thrawn books had, had established that at, the Empire had been around for, I think, around, or at least 50 years, I think, was what they gave since um, the prior, I think they called him the President at that point, took power and became the Emperor. So there was a bit more time to play with the idea of people forgetting the Jedi. Um, and then the, you know, the prequels came along and pretty much established that there's like 20 years between episode three and episode well, four. So it shrinks the time scale a little bit, but they just sort of make that up with a massive. Right. Yeah. Well, and, they, yes. they, they use a lot of propaganda and just like, I, wasn't there something about like Palpatine actively used the force to like, erase memories or something like that too i thought there was a plot point in a book somewhere i think in legends they tried to do that i think in in canon of course they've turned to this idea that he created the inquisitorius yeah. to go out and actively destroy anybody who knows about the jedi anything and, that could and, well, oh. and pretty much anything else to ferret out information about the past yeah right so, didn't, didn't he i think we talked about it in an earlier episode i think david mentioned that palpatine and someone another sith lord basically made a giant veil over the force that kind of suppressed yeah. the force <laughs> to a degree, which would also prevent new Jedis from awakening in my under, at least in my understanding of how that mm. veil works. It's, it's not 100% clear what it does because they didn't want to granularize it that much. It mm-hmm. serves as a blanket justification for a lot of things, mm-hmm. which could be, uh, preventing new Jedi from coming about because I mean it's also not implied that that was all that common even before they said that the number of Jedi were around like what ten thousand Jedi in the entire galaxy and the Republic is like a million planets yeah it's so ridiculously it's rare. pretty rare that someone of Jedi strength in the Force seems to manifest well it certainly anyway. is convenient that all of Star Wars planets only seem to have <laughs> one or maybe two major cities and they all have <laughs> one <laughs> biome across the entire planet. Maybe two, the de- if you're lucky. In the defense <laughs> like of Star if you're, Wars, if you're, if we don't have time true. to go. We don't have you time only... to go see their other biomes. We're busy. We're here for one you... scene and a transition. And that's it. You, Star you get Wars more than, has to get us you places. Get, you get more than one city if you're Naboo. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, and technically, <laughs> Tatooine has two cities. Um, because we technically see um, Moss Eisley's and Moss... Malspa? I don't remember the other one, but we see a different city um, in the prequels than we do in the original. Um, but that's just 
they look exactly the same, but yes, they're different. Well, I mean, they're still the same biome. I mean, it's Star Wars. We get the planet of hats. Everyone is a sand dweller or everyone lives underwater and we're done. And then, of course, in the the sequel trilogies, we got Jakku. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I think has yes. my favorite which name. Is slightly of redder, broken Tatooine. Just saying. The, the best part of Jakku was all of the the scrapped imperial tech that people could wander around in the desert. And if they wanted mm-hmm. to make that a really cool thing, the city would have been built in the like the husk of a Death Star, or like not Death Star, of like a Star Destroyer. Star Destroyer. Like that the entire market that would have just been, cool. been in an old um, Star Destroyer. It would have been dope. But um, but no. Before. Before we get all the way off of this topic and back on topic, there's actually a thing I came up with for um, a campaign I was running for Star Wars once that in no way connects to David. Um, in in reference to this, um, basically there was an idea that I came up with that I had the realization that um, Jedi would be their own genre of romance novel, just like pirates are. And just like, you know, there are these weird like like these are the sorts of genres. I'm like, yeah, in this universe, there would be a lot of like Jedi romance novels that people would have written about Jedi and like have written it like involving Jedi and things like that. And I'm like, what's the first thing you do as the emperor when you come to power? And I'm like, you ban all that crap. <laughs> and so there's actually a mission I came up <laughs> with for um, my smugglers to do um, where they actually had like a crate of banned romance, like cheesy, cheesy romance novels featuring Jedi oh, no. because there was Can, now a black market for these romance novels. Chris, mm-hmm. Chris, are these yes. like real life cheesy vampire romance novels? Yes. Like we, my little sister yes! and I sat down and wrote out, we wrote out all of the titles and we wrote out oh like God. scene descriptions yes. from them. Like we had the trilogy, what, no, we had the quartet passion piece, um, no, no, dang it, what was it? It was Yoda's, it was Yoda's whole thing. Um, fear, anger. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads yeah, to Yeah, we something. had those four books, the quartet. We also had 501st Dates. Um, we also had It's a Wonderful Life Day. <laughs> um, did, did you have Starlight? No, we didn't, but we should have. Um, we had Peace and you, Passion. You... <laughs> oh my God. We had we had some good ones. There were some there were some glorious there were some glorious titles in there. Um, unfortunately, I think I've lost all of them now because my computer died moving David into his last house. So, but all of that aside, <laughs> wait, how did your computer die moving? David, you robbed us. Would you have your David, you have robbed us of these Jedi romance novels. Dang it! I about to say. I mean, I, if it had been your brother's computer, I would have believed it died. Yeah, it's fair. You know, it's it's exactly like I bought my computer the same time my brother did, and it was in similar shape. And I banged it up a little bit moving you in because I'd put stuff in my car, <laughs> and because of that, it would no oh, longer charge. No. And so, technically, my hard drive is still good, and I could get those stuff off of it if I cared enough. You could get um, them off, yeah. But I, I don't. do it. Do it. <laughs> If this video gets to 100 anyway, likes, back in the boiling sand for, dunes of Tatooine. If if we're still around next year, just we should have a Valentine's Day episode where we just read all of Chris's oh, vampire no. or not vampire, the the Jedi romance <laughs> novels. They were they were. I, I need okay to go find this. those. Uh, all right. So so let's see. Let's see if I can 
I can get us back on topic for once. Um, so the dying man, yay, uh, who totally we don't know is Boba Fett, but he actually is. Uh, um, it's he, so he can hard hear, to figure it out, right? Uh, he can hear that uh, Dengar and Manaru are trying to rescue him, and he's kind of ashamed mm-hmm. by it. Um, uh, he, he's kind of oh, he thinks he's snapped, He kind of thinks he's gone gone crazy from it. What's that? There was the fault in our orders. I remembered that one. I totally forgotten it. Fault in our- oh, <laughs> that was that was the Sith Jedi crossover romance. The the forbidden oh, no. lovers angle. Um, Chris, yeah, <laughs> le- you legit almost killed me because I I almost choked on my cough drop. You weren't ready for that one. <laughs> Um, let's anyway, see. sorry. That's the last. That's the last weird romance novel title. I swear. Uh, uh, I'm almost <laughs> broken on that one too. Good God. Um, so let's see. Boba <laughs> also claims that uh, that he blew up Sarlacc, even though the people that he, that are rescuing him. Or no, he he doesn't think that they're real. So he's just kind of like telling it to people that are imaginary, evidently. So. <clears throat> right, because he thinks that he's dreaming that people are rescuing him because his mind can't yeah. handle the fact that he's dying. And then and then um it's finally let out that, that Dengar recognizes him. Um but it, it I kinda got the, the gist of it that like he didn't really want to help. I kinda got the feeling on that one. Like knowing that it was Boba Fett, it's just like, oh I don't want to do this yeah. now. I think it was more like, you know how this is gonna cause a thing if yeah. we help him. But, like But Manaru's like This isn't just some random yeah, guy. Manaru just says, I don't care, let's we gotta help him. It's Yep, and, and of course the the dying man realizes that everything is real, and then he is being saved, and we learn his name is Boba Fett. Which we totally didn't know dun, earlier. Dun, dun, dun. I'm 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 in shock. David, right. cannot you tell that I am in shock? You can hear it in my voice. <laughs> so we right? have our first chapter. I mean, how many other people running around in Mandalorian armor? In, uh, polite society. Yeah, I was going to say, it's even rarer in Legends than it was nowadays, because in canon, we've kind of established the Mandalorians are still around doing things during all of Star Wars. But in Legends, the word Mandalorian didn't even really get defined until a lot later than this. Yeah. Um, Boba Fett doesn't identify as a quote-unquote Mandalorian. Uh, he's just a bounty hunter who happens to have this armor from some like old style of it's warrior. It's the title in this book, of the really. book. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like he's wearing—I don't even know what to describe it. He's wearing like Spartan armor or something. Right. Like he's not like Spartan from Halo, but like yeah, it's like it is armor well, reminiscent of like an ancient warrior. Well, it would be like of. Yakuza wearing. It would be like the Yakuza wearing um, the samurai outfit, or like an Italian mobster wearing like yeah, a Greco-Roman yeah. like outfit. Right. I mean, it's, it doesn't have quite the same like silly context that that would kind of look like if someone actually did it, um, because everyone respects his armor. I think a little bit more than that. But yeah, it is it is portrayed in legends that Boba Fett is wearing the armor of a culture that has mostly died, and that he doesn't necessarily identify too strongly with at this point. Um, but anyway, we get to the end of chapter one, and I think that's where we will call it for today. Uh, we'll bring Cat in for chapter two, 
and uh, hopefully more than that next week, but we'll, we'll move on there. I hope you've enjoyed listening, and I hope that you enjoy uh, following along with us on this journey of have we find out how Boba Fett's not dead in Star Wars Legends canon and the strange adventures that he and his they- comrades, question mark, go on over the next few chapters and books. <laughs> Uh, I'm David. You can find me on Twitter at AKA Agent Shades. And you can find me on YouTube and several other places um, through my Twitter. It's probably the easiest way to find it. Just go there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you can find our podcast on Twitter at Legends NRCast, uh, and I will post episodes there as uh, you know, I tweet them out. And, uh, just other stuff related to the podcast as is necessary. And I'm Chris, and I'm still washing dishes at the old Bimbo Inn waiting to get to Montressor Spaceport. (laughs) And I'm Jason, and I have no clue what that reference is, but I kind of want to know. And you can also find me on Twitter at GhostShark20, and that's about it right now. I'm Jay, a.k.a. SharkReady24. You can find me pretty much anywhere under that username. And I'm currently... I'm currently developing a conspiracy theory because David said next week we'll have Cat and maybe more. So I want to know what he means by maybe more. David, are we going to have a new member on the podcast? I just meant chapter two and maybe more. You, that's what you said. You said maybe more. Are we getting a new have, member of the podcast? Have you not heard of the wonderful um, food writer, maybe more? She is great and amazing and will clearly be on the podcast. I'm her biggest fan. Just saying. <laughs> I always love when she ends her, her um, blog by saying, and that's all, or maybe more. Maybe question more. Absolutely. Uh... <clears throat> <laughs> this is payback for Wookiee Fife Day, man. My little sister, my little sister listened to that episode the other day. I was just showing her part of this thing and she heard that part and just looked at me with like a complete wait, look wait, of just like, it? you know, the Wookiee Fife Day. Remember the, the episode when David was like, yeah, Wookiee Fife Day is a thing. And I was like, really? And he's like, no. <laughs> I showed that to my little sister and she just looked at me with like haughty derision and was like, me. I can't believe you fell for Wookiee Fife Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I propose that Chris's sister should be the newest member of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, she'd be down. Yeah. I she's mean, potentially less gullible. I don't have a problem so... with that. Hey, she is, hey, she we'll... is less she's less gullible, much more adorable, and a lot more fun. Hey, at least then the girls would be even to the guys, just saying. That is fair. That's true. Yeah. Well, we'll. Uh, if, I mean, I'm really, honestly, open to it if she wants to join in. <laughs> but uh, I'll stop the recording before we before we cast her without her permission. <laughs> <laughs>